Father, speak, for your servants are listening. Thank you so much. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Aren't you thankful that it's raining today? We need some moisture here in California. You know, there's some other places that are in need of moisture, in need of fresh water. Just this week, actually on Thursday, I saw this headline. Puerto Rico is going to close 283 schools amid sharp enrollment drop after hurricane and economic crisis. That's a lot of schools, isn't it? Apparently, enrollment has dropped by 38,000 students. I get sad when one student leaves our school, but 38,000 students will not be entering school this year, and that's largely because, I guess, already people were leaving Puerto Rico, but after the hurricane, even more began to leave. And it's pretty crazy to see some of the things that people endured after the hurricane. Here in a a civilized country, you have them desperately having to look for water, having to go to find potable water that they can use to cook, to clean with. I mean, we don't understand, we don't comprehend what it's like, do we? To to not be able to, to just turn on the spigot and get fresh water, to have that nice shower in the morning and just to enjoy all of the water. Right now in California, though we may be facing a drought, we get to enjoy much moisture in our lives. And to drink water is as simple as turning on the tap and putting your glass under, or maybe you use a filter in order to drink that water. But in Puerto Rico, they're struggling. They're, They're needing water. They're unable to live and survive, they feel like. Now, interestingly enough, if you go around the world, our, our sister church down in Arroyo Grande is going to be doing a 6K for water here. I think it's May 20 they're doing it, something that we maybe get a chance to, to partner with them on. And they're doing this because the average distance that women have to walk, women and, and, and girls on a, a, month, a daily basis, sorry, millions of girls and women this morning and every morning have to walk six kilometers in order to get to they're well and back. And when they get there, they have to wait for three hours or sometimes more in order to, to get water. And the water that they usually get is not all that pleasant compared to the water that comes out of our tap, even though you may feel like we have some mineral deposits in our water. What was it like for the Israelites as they went out of Egypt, that land where the Nile River watered the farms and where They were slaves. They were abused. They were mistreated in the land of Egypt. But finally, God had delivered them. As they got out, they they went through the Red Sea. All of these amazing things happened. And they get out there into the wilderness. They get out there in the desert. In Exodus chapter 17, what happens? They get thirsty. They say, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Because we really need water. We are creatures who need water. Humanity thrives on water. Civilization is based around water. Big cities are built around ports. Water is essential. Water is life for us on this planet. And the Israelites are saying, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Did God, God doesn't even exist. They began to even doubt whether God was there for them just a matter of days after they had gone through the Red Sea, after they'd seen the plagues, after they'd seen God work mighty 
deliverance is. So let's look in Exodus chapter 17. If you want to go there with me in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 17. And we'll pick it up in verse 6. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 6. The Lord has come to him. He said, take that same rod that you struck the Red Sea and that you passed through the Red Sea. Take that same rod and go and use it for this purpose. Verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. This is a phenomenal event to think about what God is doing here. Here you have two million Israelites. They're in the wilderness. They're thirsty. And God says, just go hit this rock with a staff and there's going to come this river out big enough to quench the thirst and all of the water needs for two million people in the wilderness. How big of a river would that have had to have been? I, I can imagine that it must have been a a massive river, maybe something like on the front of our our bulletin, something that's just rushing out of that rock. I'm not sure exactly, but something interesting here that I hadn't thought about until recently. Where is Horeb? Where is Horeb? Mount Sinai. If you don't uh, make that connection, look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, and it tells us that, that Horeb, the mountain of God, that Sinai, is where the Ten Commandments are given to God's people. This is where the law was given to them. So in that very place, it says right in front of Mount Horeb, there's a rock there, and that's where Moses goes and he strikes it, and out of that rock flows this river for them to be able to eat out of, or drink out of, sorry. They may have ate too, but... So do you see this picture? What was Mount Sinai like? It was basically like the throne room of God. Here they are. They're in the wilderness. And they don't have a king, they feel like, at this point. They're leaving behind slavery. They don't understand who their God really is. And God reveals Himself in all kinds of might and awe and power by coming down on top of Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai was this massive display of God's glory. So much so that Nobody could go and touch the mountain for fear that they would be destroyed by God's glory because God was so pure and they were so defiled. And yet, from that very mountain, from the rock right there in that mountain, comes flowing this river that quenched their thirst. From the same place that came the law of God came this river of life for the Israelites to drink each and every day, to go for breakfast, to grab out the water and to bring it out. And you see this idea carried on throughout the New Testament. In fact, I mean the Old Testament. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 48. In Isaiah chapter 48, you find that, again, there's a a comparison to, one, the commandments of God, and to a river. If you go to Isaiah chapter 48, and we'll start in verse 18. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 18 says, Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. You hear the angst of God there. If only you'd paid attention when I gave you those commandments. He's 
they're for our good. We've just spent seven weeks looking at how God wants to bless our relationships so that our relationships could thrive. And the law of God, ultimately, Romans chapter 13 says, love is the fulfilling of the law. The law was about loving God on one side, and on the other side, it was about loving the people around us. Jesus summed it up by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. You would have had peace in your relationships. You would have not had all the strife that you've gone through in your life. If only you had paid attention to my commandments, your peace would have been like a freely flowing river. Do you picture Sinai there with that river just coming flowing out from where the commandments of God had been given? That river that quenched their thirst as morning by morning they came to rejuvenate their lives through drinking water. And your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Just a couple of verses later, it reminds them of what happened in the wilderness. It says, And they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. He's pointing them back to this experience at Mount Sinai where the, the rock, which also followed them in the wilderness, we learn later on, but the rock was split open so that this river could come out and quench their thirst. You know, thirst is one of the most intense feelings that we have. It's one of the most intense cravings that we can have. If you doubt it, just try to go a couple days without drinking water. No, don't really try to do that. But it's, it's an intense craving that we have in our lives. But then it goes on to say this. There is no peace, the next verse says, verse 22, says the Lord for the wicked. On the one hand, if you'd hearken to my commandments, they're for the purpose of making your life better, of leading you to love God and leading you to love people and enhancing your relationships. There would be peace in your life that's like a river. I love the kids' song. Peace like a river, peace like a river in my soul. That's what we need, isn't it, in our lives? That's what we need in our world today. That's what Puerto Rico needs. That's what our world all around needs is peace. But there's no peace for the wicked. They've rejected the offer to drink from the water of life. So what are the the symptoms of thirst? How do I know if I'm dehydrated? You know, if you look on the internet, there's some some things that go around that claim that about 75% of people are dehydrated. Other people claim, no, it's more like 20 to 30%. But most people agree we don't drink enough water. Would doctors here agree with that? We don't often drink enough water. We could drink more water. You know, I had friends in high school who they never drank water. I never saw them drink water. They drink Gatorade during basketball games. They drink soda at lunchtime, but never water. Anything else but water. So how would I know if I'm dehydrated? What are the signs of dehydration? eMedicine.com says this, increased thirst is some of the initial indications of it, right? If I'm beginning to sense that I'm thirsty, some people say, well, that's too late. You should have drinking before you got thirsty. Dry mouth, tired or sleepy, decreased body fluids, headache, dry skin, dizziness, few or no tears. None of that sounds very fun, does it? I, I, I like to be able to uh, have my mouth not be dry. I like to, to be awake. In fact, it's if you want to test this, when you wake up early in the morning, 
and you want to stay awake, drink water as fast as you can. It really helps you to stay awake. But to lack water leads you to be sleepy. You'll, you'll not have fluids flowing out of your body as much. Headaches, pain, all of these, these things. Dizziness really is the beginnings of confusion. But then it gets even more severe. Rapid heart rate, fever, poor skin elasticity, lethargy, confusion, or coma, seizure, shock. These are the things that begin to happen to your body when you're lacking the water, the sustenance of water that you so desperately need. I believe that God had a reason for describing again and again what we need to do is to come to Him to drink. We need desperately what He has to offer us. And when we don't, Sometimes we get a little confused in our lives. When we don't, sometimes we get a little tired spiritually. Sometimes we need a little wake-up call, and the best way to do that is to drink deeply. That's what God is longing for us to experience. Jeremiah 2.13, God challenging His people. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken Me the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves that can hold no water. Because I wanted to quench their thirst, those desires in their lives. Do you know that today? That those desires, those things that you long for in your life, God is the ultimate fulfillment of every desire that you have. And He alone can satisfy the longings of your soul. Because relationships with God, ultimately our relationship with God is what satisfies us. And He leads us to enhance relationships with others. Psalm 36, verse 7. You notice there that He says, they've forsaken Me. It's like they're rejecting Me when they haven't come to Me. It's like they're rejecting a fountain of water. Psalm 36, verse 7 says, How precious is Your loving kindness, O God. That's the word kesed. That word of faithful covenant love that that never fails. God's love that is reliable and you can always turn to it. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. Doesn't that sound delightful? I mean, just picture that. God wants you to, to say, God, you are so delightful. What you have to offer me, the, the things that you've told me, all of these experiences that you want me to have in seeking you, those are to bring a delightful experience into my life. They're to bring peace into my life. I just want to drink fully from your river of pleasures. Not to seek pleasures from all these other places, but to look for my fulfillment in you continues on in verse 9 to say for with you sorry for with you is the fountain of life in your light we see light god is a fountain he is where we can quench the burning thirst of our souls the longings the cravings i don't know what it is for you but throughout our lives we tend to have cravings for something more maybe it's for marriage Or then later on, it's for graduating from school maybe. Or maybe it's for a certain job or a certain income level. Retirement. For, I don't know what it is. But time after time in my life, I've found that every craving that I have that I look to to satisfy my soul winds up empty. 
except for Jesus. He says, I'm the fountain of life, and when you come to me to drink in fully, I'll satisfy the longings of your soul. I'll give you of the abundance of my house. You can drink deeply from the river of pleasures. Isaiah 12.3, this is this picture that maybe wouldn't, it seems a little contrary to what they actually would be experiencing. It says, therefore with joy you will draw water. If you were a girl living in the ancient Near East at this time, and you read this verse, wouldn't that get your attention? I mean, you wake up early every morning before everybody has breakfast, and you put that pot up on your shoulder or on your head, and you, you hike that distance to get to the well. And once you get to the well, you've got to wait in line, then you've got to lower it down into that well, and you pull that water back up, you hoist it up on your head, you walk all that distance back just so you can get your day started. But here God's saying, therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's a joyful experience to come to God. Yes, sometimes it may feel like a lot of work to seek God, but ultimately to draw from the wells of salvation satisfies and enriches and purifies our lives. I want to look at a, another text in Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel gets many and varied visions throughout his experience. I encourage you to read the book of Ezekiel with a very prayerful heart. There's a lot of visions there that are, are difficult to understand. If you get a good commentary and read through the book of Ezekiel, it can help you a lot. But in Ezekiel chapter 47, there's this fascinating vision that Ezekiel sees as he's there in the temple. He sees in the temple that there is what might seem like a problem for most buildings, but apparently this isn't a problem for the temple. Because he looks and he sees that to the south of the altar, there's something coming out, I don't know exactly where, but there's some sort of a fountain where water is flowing out from beside the altar. And this water is flowing, he says, out of the front doors of the temple. And as it goes out, it's going towards the east, he says. And, and I go out, he says, and as I go out, this, this, my, my uh, angel guardian goes with me and he takes me out into this river and he takes me a thousand stadia out into it and he has me, first of all, measure it. And so I measure it and he says at that point it comes to my ankles. Have you ever gone out wading in the ocean? This gets a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, testing how far out in the waters you can get. This is like what the messenger is having Ezekiel do. He takes him out, he gets to his ankles. Then he goes another thousand stadia out, and it's to his knees. And then he goes out another thousand, and it's to the place where, I believe at that point, he would need to swim in order to get across. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured, verse 5, 1,000. And it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. You picture this. This is the temple. This is God's dwelling place. And out of it is coming this river that exponentially increases and becomes this bigger and bigger, wider and wider river, deeper and deeper as it rushes out from Jerusalem off of the mount there. As it comes down the Temple Mount, it's getting into this massive river that's flowing from the very presence of God. Coming from where God dwells in His temple. We continue reading 
In verse 7, when I returned there along the bank of the river, there were very many trees. In verse, uh, there were very many trees on one side and then the other. Then he said, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the valley and enters into the sea. And when it reaches the sea, now this here is talking about the Dead Sea. What do you know about the Dead Sea? It's salty. In fact, I think Pastor Cliff, was that the picture you showed me on Wednesday night? He showed me this picture of him in the Dead Sea. He said, I can't swim, but look at what I'm doing here. And his hands were out, his feet were out, and he was there floating in the Dead Sea because it's so salty. But look at what happens to this sea as the water reaches it. It says, when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. It comes to life. And then he goes on to describe the fishermen are catching fish all around this sea where the fish couldn't live before. And suddenly there's this multiplication of life. In fact, let's look at verse 9 together. Verse 9 says, And it, it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. Everywhere that this river goes, it brings life. And we see that here. We're very cognizant of this in our area, aren't we? Because we go through the fall and we get into winter and everything turns brown. Sometimes we don't really notice it until the rain begins to come and we look outside and we say, wow, everything's green again. There's life and God is designed into us to love to see green, to love to see life. And as Ezekiel looks, he says, everywhere that that river was going, there is life. Things were coming to life. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. That's what the river of the water of life does for our souls. It brings healing to us. And I know that there are many of us who are needing healing this morning. Not just physical healing. We pray a lot for physical healing, but I know that some of you have had your lives torn apart. You've lost loved ones. You've gone through incredible difficulties with your family. You've faced trials at work. Sometimes it just feels like, where is God in the midst of all this? What He's inviting you today is come to the water of life and drink. I want to heal you. I want to bring peace into your life. That person who was so hard on you in the past, I want you to be able to forgive them. I want to bring restoration and healing into your life. Just like that river rushing out into the desert and that desert becoming this beautiful place with plants coming up and trees sprouting and the fish coming to life. That's what I want your experience to be like as you constantly drink from me. Continuing on, verse 12. Along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month. Does that sound familiar at all? Sound a little bit like the river of life that we find in Revelation chapter 12? They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. There's such healing power in this river that flows from God that it's healing absolutely everything to the place where even the leaves of the trees that grow beside it are healing those around them. 
That's what God wants for us to experience. I read Psalm 1 this morning. I like to read just one psalm every morning. And this morning's psalm was Psalm 1. I just start over again. And it's such a beautiful psalm about exactly this. Being like a tree planted by a river. And just drinking in and bearing fruit in every season. That's what God longs for us. But think about Puerto Rico. This is a picture of a beach in Puerto Rico. How much water is there in Puerto Rico? If you look at a map of Puerto Rico, it's surrounded by water. It has rivers running through it. There's so much blue on that island that it's hard to imagine. To give you an idea, Puerto Rico has about 300 to 400 miles of coastland. California has, I believe it's about 800 miles of coastland. And you imagine how much bigger California is compared to Puerto Rico. There is water surrounding Puerto Rico. And yet, people are moving away because they can't get enough to drink. And Jesus says, you've hewed out cisterns for yourself that don't hold water. They're leaky. They, it doesn't work for you. Salt water doesn't quench your thirst. You need that river of life that will come into that salt sea and turn it into healing waters. If only we had that literally to offer to Puerto Rico. But we're told that in the last days, this is exactly what God is going to do. In Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 1, God says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. No wonder that the fountain came up from right beside the altar. It's a river of grace. It's a river of forgiveness. It's a river to wash away uncleanness, to bring healing and restoration to our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. God promises that He's going to do this for us in the last days. That He's going to bring us a river of the water of life. And Jesus wants for us to crave this in our lives. Have you thought about what he says in the Beatitudes? In Matthew 5 and verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are so craving the righteousness that comes from me that they just want to drink in what I have to offer them. They can't get enough of me. And ultimately, that's what this river of life represents it comes from jesus it's the righteousness of christ that comes into our lives let's look at first corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 talking about the israelites in the wilderness it says and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was who was it christ Christ was the one who there was the rock at Mount Horeb, at Mount Sinai, where the law was given that from bursting from within Him came this river for them to quench their thirst on those burning hot days. Don't you really just want to experience that? I do. I just want to go and drink more fully from Jesus. To experience more of a satisfaction from the water of life that He has to offer. And Jesus One day at the Feast of Tabernacles, he walked into the temple and it was on the last day of the feast, that day when they had this special ceremony early in the morning. They'd already had this ceremony where the priest would go down to the brook Kidron and he would take out of the brook Kidron a a special flagon of, of water and he'd bring that up and they'd bring it up to the altar 
And there by the altar, they had these two pipes. And they would pour into one pipe the water and into the other pipe, they'd pour blood. And the two would come together into this one pipe that would run all the way down from the temple to the brook Kidron. And some wonder if maybe that came from this that we've just looked at in Ezekiel chapter 47, that they were picturing this river that came out from the altar as they would do this at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was like the climactic event of the entire year. The Feast of Tabernacles was the last feast, and this was to celebrate all God had done for them the whole year. So you imagine the setting is, this has just taken place. And Jesus walks into the temple. And in John chapter 7, He says, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Let Him say that to your heart this morning. Are you thirsty? Are you longing for something more in your life? Come to Jesus and drink. He alone can satisfy the cravings of our soul. If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his innermost being or out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He won't have the problem of dehydration where his fluids are running dry. He can't cry. But he will have fluids flowing out of his innermost being. You become the replication of the river of the water of life. Isn't that beautiful? When you believe in Jesus, when you thirst for Jesus, when you quench your thirst in Jesus, He says, you're going to become the conduit through which I send that same kind of river flowing out of you as my sanctuary. When I come and live in you, then that same river of healing is going to flow to everybody around you. But first, we've got to come and drink. We can't overflow into other people's lives until we first been filled up ourselves. Till we first come and drunk deeply at the water of life. Proverbs 18, verse 4. gives us a little picture of well, what does it really mean that these rivers are going to come flowing out of me? That sounds a little strange. I don't know if I exactly want that to happen. Proverbs 18, verse 4 gives a picture of one way that this can happen. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. God wants to give you words of life for your friend that's struggling, for your daughter or your son who's going through depression, whatever you're facing. God wants to bring water of life to others through you. wants to overflow through you into other people's lives. And how delightful would that be, really? To be able to bring words of wisdom, words of life to people who are thirsting, who are longing for it. There's a lot of people that don't really know what they're missing. There's a lot of people that don't recognize the value, the beauty of truth. But if you look throughout history at what has taken place when truth has been taken out of people's lives, you see chaos and anarchy. You see heartache and pain. If you look in the 1600s, after the Protestant Reformation, around that time, you see what happened in France leading up to the French Revolution You see how they began to get rid of the Bible. They began to to get rid of Protestants. They had the guillotine, all of these ways of, of putting to death people that believed in the simple truths of the Word of God, who drank from that fountain of the water of life, who fully recognized their need of salvation and satisfaction in Jesus. 
And they, they banned the Bible. They even changed the week. Did you know that? They changed it to a 10-day week rather than a 7-day week. And people began to go crazy. They couldn't handle these changes. It didn't work for them as society began to become degraded. But that's not the only time that it's happened in history. It happened quite recently during the Cold War. The USSR began to ban Bibles and religion and anything that would possibly savor of Protestant Christianity. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a time like that? Today, we have the privilege of picking up our Bible, one of maybe ten that's on our shelf. We have the privilege of picking up our cell phone and scrolling to the text. We have so many resources to get us to Jesus, to be able to drink fully from Him. But in the USSR, for years, they didn't have that opportunity. The Bible was a treasure to them. They longed for truth. Have you ever talked to somebody who was there, who got to come in right after the curtain fell and got to, to share truth with those who were longing for it? Well, I got a chance to talk to somebody this past week. In fact, Pastor Cliff just recently told me a story about when he went to the Ukraine just shortly after the curtain had fallen. So I want to invite Pastor Cliff to come up and share a little bit of this touching story in his life where God used him to be an impact to people who were thirsting for truth. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Zach. In uh, 1991, December 26, uh, There was a great change in what happened in uh, Russia and the Ukraine. And uh, it was in several months later, I had a call from my brother-in-law, who was, uh, he was president of the Missouri Conference. And he said, uh, he said, Cliff, he said, uh, you know, there we here in the Mid-America Union have been raising money um, for our people in Russia to uh, get wheat. And he said they're going to, uh, we've, we've raised about $150,000. And he said there's, uh, there's two uh, of our pastors in the Minnesota Conference and uh, and the uh, and myself and we uh, we have one more now I was a pastor in Oregon but he said you know we're going to be going to Russia to deliver this money for our people to get wheat and he said uh, you think you might be able to go with us I said wow (laughs) I hope so well, he said, talk to your conference president and see if he'd let you go. And so I got in touch with Don Jacobson, who was my president at the time. And he said, oh, Cliff, that's a wonderful opportunity. Sure, you can go. And so um, I'll never forget that, that four of us went together. We got on a plane in Chicago, and, and we flew, uh, eventually got over to Russia and uh, and I had an experience there that um, that was wonderful because you see 
a number. Uh, it was amazing after the the walls of communism fell down. How quickly uh, some of our evangelists uh, were able to get in there and uh, hold some tremendous meetings, like John Carter and uh, Mark Finley and uh, Don Gray from our North uh, North American Union. And uh, it was amazing that people by the hundreds came to their meetings. They had meetings right in the Kremlin uh, in a big auditorium there that uh, Mark Finley had that hundreds of people were baptized. Well, one of the... uh, We, of course, went with Lee Huff, who was president of the Minnesota Conference and he was going to deliver this money for our people to get wheat. And um, eventually, of course, we, we were in Sala Seminary there in Russia. And, uh, and we uh, got to stay there and got to go into Moscow and do a little sightseeing. And then we eventually went to Kiev and uh, Ukraine. And we went... Uh, uh, kind of southeast to uh, a city by the name of Donetsk, which is, we, I never even heard of it, but it's three million people there in the Ukraine. And um, they had a large uh, theater that they rented, and Lee Huff was uh, going to have a series himself there. And we had the privilege to be there for about four nights and uh, to attend the meetings and to be with be with him and uh, I'll never forget they introduced us the first night to the people in the auto these four preachers from the from the United States and uh, and right after I think it was the very first night after they introduced us a lady came to me and uh, she said pastor she said uh, you know, I'm just learning English. He said, I would love to have an English Bible. Um, do you think, uh, would, would you happen to have one you might be able to get, get for me? I, I said, you meet me tomorrow night. I've got one in my, in my suitcase, and I'll bring it to you tomorrow night, and I'll give it to you. Oh, she was really elated over that. And so I met her the next night and gave her that English Bible. And she spoke pretty good in English, too. And, and uh, she was just so, so excited. And in fact, you see a picture up there. Uh, uh, her son, she was so grateful that her son uh, had uh, made a picture of the head of Christ for me. And she brought it to me, and I, when I got home, I had it professionally framed, and uh, we have had it hanging in our bedroom ever since, and that's the picture right there of the head of Christ that that her son had had uh, made for me. In fact, his name, and he said it's a gift in the very right-hand corner as you look at it, he can't see it now. But you'll notice uh, when you get close, it's 
got to Pastor Hoffman, and it's got the date, and it's got his name. Anyway, I've always prized that, and uh, uh, and I just wanted to share uh, that I I saw people well, the first night when they came in. They had a they had a Bible that they gave to all the attendees, and I never I watched many of them, and and as Pastor uh, you know Zach mentioned that. that the Bible is so common for us. You know, I have a whole shelf of, of Bibles, different translations and paraphrases. And, and, uh, and when I saw these people get presented as they came to the meetings, their first Bible. And I remember seeing a lot of them clutch their Bible like this and tears came down their cheeks. To have a Bible, I thought I was ashamed of myself. I've got a whole shelf full. And it's not, I don't have that feeling because it's so common to me. But after then, I tell you, I look at Bibles different now. It's the Word of God. It's, it's the water of life that Pastor Zach's been giving us. And so... I just wanted to share this experience. I'll never forget it. It changed my life. Thank you, Pastor Cliff. Sorry. (laughs) Isn't that? uh, Because of that, my uh, my daughter, uh, because of me being in the Ukraine for Christmas, she got me a handcrafted, carved this cane that comes right from the Ukraine. (laughs) Beautiful. <laughs> and I prize it. Do you want to see it later? Come see me afterwards. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Cliff. Isn't it beautiful to see how people treasure truth when they've been deprived from it? Do I treasure it like that? Do I appreciate my Bible like that? Am I waking up in the morning with that realization that to go and read the Bible is a privilege that many countries in the world don't allow their people to have? And am I working to do whatever it takes to share that river of the water of life with those around me? Jesus has done everything possible to provide this for you and I, to provide this opportunity for us. You know, the picture was that Christ was that rock that was split in two so that that river could come gushing from Mount Sinai. And then in John chapter 19, it tells us that as Jesus hung there on the cross, as He came to His final moments, as He experienced hell for you and I, as He went the distance of experiencing all that you and I deserve so that we could have His righteousness in our lives, as He was unleashing that fountain of the river of life that would flow from the altar, that fountain that was going to be unsealed. As He was there on the cross, He cried out, it is finished. It's completed. The battle is won. The victory is won. They can all drink of the river of the water of life now. Everyone can have freely from it now. A soldier came up to His side and pierced that side. John 19, verse 34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Flowing out of the side of Christ, representing that water of life that He's longing to give 
to you and I. It's only because of Jesus that we can drink freely. It's only because of Jesus that we can delight in God. And what was Jesus really giving us on that day? He was becoming our sin so that we could become His righteousness. He was basically giving us His heart. He was letting His heart be broken so that your heart could be overflowing with righteousness. What was His heart? Psalm 40 and verse 8, I delight to do Your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. From His very heart, just like Mount Sinai, the place where God's law abode, flowed a river of life for us to drink. But what does that really look like? I mean, I can't go to the cross and actually drink from Jesus, can I? John 7.39 goes on to say this, but this He spoke concerning the Spirit. After saying, come to Me and drink if you thirst. He spoke this concerning the Spirit whom those believing in Him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He was speaking about the Holy Spirit as the conduit that brings to us the river of the water of life. That's where we can drink fully and where we can come to the place where that river is of value to us. Where we can drink of His righteousness. When we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness that we can be satisfied, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like John 16.13, Jesus told us, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. That truth that flowed from the very throne of God. He'll guide you into that truth. We need the Holy Spirit to guide our lives, to guide us as we open the Bible. We don't just need the Bible, but we need God Himself. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will tell you things to come. He'll give you a a picture of what's to come. He'll, He'll prepare the way. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll give you instructions in your life. And ultimately, He'll pour out God's heart into your heart. Romans 5.5 Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He wants to quench the thirst of our lives for love. He wants to satisfy us with His love to the extent where we're overflowing and we're able to love people out of the bottom of our heart where we're motivated to keep the commandments not based on our will, but based upon His will, based upon His love, based upon what He has done in our hearts. Hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God is poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit. In Revelation chapter 22, we see this picture of the river of life. It says, And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. I can't wait for that day to be there on the golden streets, on the sea of glass, and to look up to the throne and to see that water like crystal come pouring out of the throne. And it's just what was pictured at Mount Sinai. That place where His law was revealed, what is the foundation of His government, out of that flowed the river that the Israelites drank from. And in heaven, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb will come that river of the water of life. That river cost everything for Jesus because John looks in chapter 5 and verse 5, he says, I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. 
That's why we can drink of the water of life. Because Jesus opened a fountain for you and I so that we can drink fully of the river of His pleasures and of His delights to satisfy the longings of our soul. Look to Jesus, friends. Go to Jesus to quench your thirst. Don't quench your thirst anywhere else but Jesus. Only Jesus satisfies. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And this ties in exactly with our relationship series because back in Revelation chapter 21, right after it talks about wiping every tear away from their eyes, taking away all the pain, all of the heartbreak that they've experienced in their lives, verse 6 says this, and he said to me, it is done. It is finished. Just like Christ on the cross. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the waters of life freely to him who thirsts. So today, Jesus is calling to you. He's calling to me. The Holy Spirit is calling to you. He's calling to me. The Spirit and the Bride, verse 17 of chapter 22, say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. You want to drink in deeply of Jesus? Go to Jesus. Go to Him in His Word. Go to Him in prayer. Ask for the Holy Spirit to take you deeper. We're living in times when we need to be rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus like no other time in history. We've got to be in the shelter of His wings. We've got to be drinking from the river of the water of life. I want to drink deeply. How about you? God's Amazing Grace, a devotional book, page 212, says this, The heart that has once tasted the love of Christ cries out continually for a deeper draft. It's addicting. The love of Christ is addicting. We saw last week that rats who have the relationship connections that they need, they're less likely to get addicted to water that is laced with drugs. That's because relationships are addicting. And ultimately, the love of Jesus, once you get a taste of it, you're going to want to come back and back for more and more so that your soul can be overflowing with the love of Jesus. The heart that has once tasted the love of Christ cries out continually for a deeper draft. And as you impart, you will receive in richer and more abundant measures. You share of that love with the world you're going to receive more and more and more of that love. Every revelation of God to the soul increases the capacity to know and to love. The continual cry of the heart is, more of thee. And ever the Spirit's answer is, much more. He died to give you this opportunity. He wants for you to drink freely from the waters of life. Today, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take freely of the water of life. I want to invite you to think about three things in closing today. One, to daily ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the only way that we can drink of the water of life. It's the only way that we can have Christ dwelling in us. It's the only way that we can overflow into other people's lives. So as you go to your Bible, as you pray, Ask, first of all, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering what that looks like, come talk to me. I'd love to give you a resource about that. I'd love for you to look up more information. This is a, a website with a book on it that's helpful on this topic of 
daily praying for a deeper filling of the Spirit. We drink water every day. What about praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our hearts? But after we ask for the Spirit to fill us so that we can overflow, the second thing is to study, to to dig deeper, to, to go deeper into that river of the water of life. In this quarter, I'm really excited as far as our Sabbath school lessons. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say Sabbath school lesson, then come talk to me afterwards. Come talk to uh, one of the Sabbath school teachers. That's our 9.30 o'clock Bible study where we come and we search the Word of God. There's different ones going on. There's one where we're going through Revelation Speaks Peace with Sean Boonstra down the hall. But the one that's in here this quarter is exciting. It's on preparation for the end times. I'm excited as I'm studying through this. And as the introduction pointed out, ultimately the preparation for the end times is to fix our eyes on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And this looks different than what many people think when we say to just fix our eyes on Jesus. It impacts every part of our life. But as you drink, it's delightful. Oh, that you had hearkened to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. And finally, share. Let that overflow in your life. Don't keep it inside. Don't be a dead sea, but let the waters heal you so that you can have outlets you share to your neighbors, you share to your friends, you share to the people around you. And one opportunity for that is coming up April 27 to May 5. We're going to have meetings right here where the water of life is going to be shared. Where the, the basic foundations for understanding how to be prepared for Jesus' soon return, are going to be shared. We're going to look at some Bible prophecy and other things with Eddie Perez. Invite you to come to the ultimate hope and to invite your neighbors, invite your friends, and we'll have flyers for this soon. But I invite you, first of all, pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit every day. How many of you want to just commit to that? This is, you know, it's something that's not a, an, a, a condition that we can consider whether or not we want this in our lives. But it's something we've got to do every single day. And two, how many of you want to just study deeper and deeper, to dig deeper into knowing Jesus for yourself, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you deeper? And finally, how many of you want to share, just be an overflowing fountain for Jesus this week and every week? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we raise our hands just as an acknowledgement of us surrendering our will to You and asking that You would work in us to will and to do of Your good pleasure, which is that all of this planet would have the opportunity to freely drink of the water of life. Lord, may we daily be filled with more of the Holy Spirit. May we daily seek a deeper understanding of truth because Your Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And may we be urgent about sharing that beautiful truth of the love of Jesus with everyone around us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.